Welcome to Trillo Talk. This is a podcast dedicated to topics that we think are important to the profession of medical writing. And our goal is to bring topical issues to the forefront and hopefully spark conversations in the wider domain about these issues. My name is Lisa Chamberlain-James. I'm a senior partner at Trilogy Writing Consulting, and I'm joined today by Magnolia Correa, who is the Corporate Communications Manager at Trilogy. And it's really interesting to have Magnolia join me today. So hello, Magnolia. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for the invitation. I'm especially interested in getting your thoughts on today's topic because you are always completed your master's in the communication of scientific research, which mm-hmm. is amazing considering that you're working full time for Trilogy at the same time. So hats off to you. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. So today's topic is in honour of the International Patient Safety Day. And it's a topic that I know is very close to mine and Magnolia's hearts, how we communicate with patients and why that's important. So we thought today we would just cover some questions that we commonly get asked to do with communicating with patients. So I'm just going to run through a few of the questions and we're going to give you our thoughts um, as as we go along, and it'll be really interesting to open the wider discussion to the wider communi- community as part of this podcast. So please do respond to the podcast, communicate with us, engage with us. Um, it's the kind of thing that Magnolia and I can talk about ad infinitum, I think. So it would be great to connect with any of you guys out there who are also interested in patient information. So the first question that we often get asked um, is why we think medical or health-related information is really important for the general public? It's a it's a really, really good question. So, um, I mean, I know that I've been interested in it for a long time because patients' failure to take medicines is a, a growing problem. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And I mean, quite old statistics by now, but we know that about 50% almost half people don't take their medicines as they're meant to be taken. And this leads to up to 10% of hospitalizations, even if you're just looking at the cardiovascular area alone, and almost 10% of all adverse drug reactions, which if you consider, as we work heavily in the clinical development sphere, um, there's so much effort and money and time put into making these drugs as clean as possible, as few side effects as possible. It actually breaks my heart to think that 10 percent, up to 10 percent, potentially more um, of adverse drug reactions are caused just because people don't understand how to take the medicines properly. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite shocking. Yes, these statistics are very hard to swallow especially because I've been there. I have aging parents, um, sons who are young adults, and I'm also a patient who wishes to understand the medicine that she's taking. Um, So from a layperson's point of view, scientists should remember that very few people outside the scientific community have access to scientific papers. And usually when we do, we are faced with um, decisions that involve involve risk management. Um, Situations like, will this medicine work? Or what other treatments do I have? Um, 
therefore the importance of writing and especially making scientific information easily accessible to the general population cannot be overstated. My case in particular is different. Even though I don't belong to a scientific community, I hang out with you guys, and this puts me in a special place. However, being able to obtain clarification or explanation on, on how a drug works is not the reality for most people. The, the, the U.S. Department of Health um, says or acknowledges that the documents that are written for the society have the possibility of positively affect public health by creating new habits in terms of prevention or improvement to adherence to medicines. And I believe they even have the potential to improve the society and science relationship in the long term. I think they're excellent points and I couldn't agree more. And it's not just about literacy, right? It's not about how well people read. You can read perfectly well, but still not understand uh, information that's related to medicines and disease areas. And that's, I mean, it has a name, it's called health literacy and there's health numeracy as well, which is related to the numbers side. So it's not just about the fact that literacy levels um, are are not as high as we'd like them to be, obviously, but you can have somebody who has a great ability to read, there's nothing wrong with their literacy level, but they still are failing to understand information about their medicines and their healthcare. And if they don't understand that, how can we possibly expect them to be active participants in their healthcare and in their treatment, which is what we're all aiming towards because we know that leads to better outcomes. But if they mm -hmm. don't understand the information they're given, how can they possibly be actively involved and be informed partners with healthcare providers. In the UK, I know we've got this great slogan from the health system, no decision about me without me, which I think is a fantastic mm -hmm. slogan and I wholeheartedly um, agree with it. But that does assume that the decision maker, so the patient, has enough information to be able to make an informed decision. And unless the information that we're giving to them is plain enough, understandable enough, they can't possibly do that. We're not giving them the tools that they need to be able to do that. Lisa, I am well aware that what I'm about to say will sound cheesy and it's definitely overused. However, I think the slogan symbolizes both a right and a responsibility. As a patient, Yes, you bear the responsibility of making informed decisions about your health, but it also entails the, per the patient's right to access information concerning treatment or any other decisions related to their health. I remember a professor emphasizing that no matter how important the message is, without skilled communicators, that message will not effectively reach individuals or communities. Yeah, absolutely agree, definitely. And I think when we're thinking about patients, we need to think about everybody. So although mm -hmm. your English is perfect, Magnolia, I know that English is not your first language. So, and I, I say that with the utmost respect because I can't speak any other language. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's 
I'm always constantly in awe of anyone who can speak another language. Um, <laughs> but we know that there are there are huge numbers of people globally who don't speak English at all. And yet most of the information that's out there is in English. There is a there is a um, a drive that actually it should be in local languages as well. But then people providing that information then have the translation issues and are the translations done very well. And if your if your information is not plain enough, that can lead to all kinds of translation issues. Mm-hmm. And that's just a language barrier. If we then think about other barriers So there are cognitive ability barriers. If somebody is dealing with a cognitive decline or has a cognitive problem, then the kind of information that they need is very different from the kind of information you would produce for someone who is neurotypical. So there's that kind of thing you need to to consider. Um, Certainly people who have visual impairment or or they're not um, they're not they don't learn or understand easily from the written words. They they react more visually. So they they need to have more visual input or audio input. Perhaps they have no vision at all. I've I've had to create information for for blind people and for people who don't have English at all as a language and cannot read at all. So all of these these demographic groups need to be considered when we're thinking about producing information that's suitable for patients because they're all patients and you know we need to think about the diversity uh, um, of the general public and think about inclusivity in terms of language in in terms of graphics in terms of how we put this information across. Lisa I agree Um, especially if we consider what communication means as an act at the core of of our human existence. So every document written for the society, um, even if if, if it contains unbiased and inclusive information, will be received and processed in different ways. It it is it it comes with the nature of communication. It follows the principles of selective exposure and selective perspective. Regardless of the quality of this document, the communication will be filtered through the recipient's reality. Um, it could be social economic situation or backgrounds. It could be their perception of science or drug development. The effort put into writing late documents is very complex, but it's also essential for improving health outcomes. You're absolutely right. And you've, you've actually touched on a critical point. There are cultural sensitivities that we need to be aware of as well. I know there are in some cultures, um, it's it's seen as, as not a good thing, almost shameful to have any side effects, to report any side effects from a medicine. And so how do you how do you engage with with that culture? How do you engage with them to to gather the, the crucial information to tell them what to do? If you know if you're saying to them, well, if you have this side effect, you must go and see your doctor, but culturally that's frowned upon or it's not something that's encouraged, then we need to think of different ways around engaging with them and helping those patients to come forward and get the help that they might need or to use their medicines properly. So it's, yeah, it is very, very complicated. You're absolutely it's a right. Monumental, totally with you. Yeah, yeah, it's a monumental challenge. Yes. It is. Yes. yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. So let's think about how medical writers can help with all of this. Um, mm-hmm. How can we help? 
in terms of getting good information across to patients to help improve patient safety. And I know that you've done, you've, it's one of the things you're looking at in your master's. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really interested to know what your thoughts are on that side of things, how medical writers can perhaps step in and help a bit. Well, I think that question aligns perfectly with this year's slogan for World Patients Safety Day, which is elevate the voice of patients. From a layperson to a medical writing professional, my first suggestion will be to please rethink the actual significance of documents written for the general public. When you write this type of documents, you are not simply checking boxes or complying with regulatory authorities. You are, in fact, affecting or changing lives. By recognizing the crucial importance of these documents, you are actively contributing to her, yes, to healthcare and its outcomes, but you are also welcoming the layperson into the scientific community. You are explaining what's behind the scientific research. And at the same time, you are educating the society that receives this information. This positions um, medical writing or medical writers at the forefront of this new era of communication. I I totally agree. And I love the positivity that you've brought to the conversation because it can be, this kind of conversation can be very almost depressing, like we're doing a rubbish job and people are are going to hospital because of it and, it you know, we need to do better. And we do need to do better. I think we all know that and there are great strides being made to for us all to to try and and do better and produce better information for patients which i love i think that's fantastic and i think i we get we often get asked if this if it's all bad news if it's like is there any light on the horizon um and i think it there definitely is i'm so encouraged i've been working in this area for gosh almost 25 years now and and i'm so encouraged by the way it's going and the willingness and the you know the 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 willingness and the and the actual actions that are happening to make this better for patients, which is which is great. In the yeah. UK, the PIFTIC accreditation is definitely gaining traction and awareness, which is brilliant. The regulatory agencies are trying really hard to increase the amount and quality of the information that's given to patients, and they're mandating lay summaries and plain language summaries of very complex documents, which is a oh, fantastic yeah. step forward. And I'm so pleased to see that. And a few weeks ago, um, the EC proposed a revision of the pharmaceutical legislation um, and the last recommendations in there, as you know, because um, we emailed about it a few times, Magnolia, um, mm-hmm. the recommendations for this mention the need to move towards the creation of, inf- of information that's objective and reliable and relevant and user friendly, um, because it's that we need all of those things and unbiased so that patients can trust the information that they see and really enable them to play an active role in their own health and their care. And I think that's really, really important. And it's it's definitely the way that we should be heading. And hopefully, you know, there are going to be tools out there that will help us do this, that will make sure that patients can really gain access to the kind of information that they need, which, as you said earlier on, will hopefully have a knock-on effect of 
making them trust the pharmaceutical industry a little bit more, understand clinical development a little bit more and make it better all round. I mean, that's just a win-win all round as I see it. Um, when I reflect on the, pan the recent pandemic, for instance, one of the lessons that we were forced to learn was that by providing unbiased and clear health information, we empowered the audience to discern between reliable information and misinformation. And I think this has nothing but positive effects in the future. Um, people like you or organizations like PIFTIC, as many um, national health systems, have many reasons to celebrate and be proud. Edu uh, one thing that I got from my education was that, in fact, education and communication are two essential factors that will shape the future behavior of society and its approach to science. I totally agree. And that is a lovely way to end this podcast, Magnolia. Let's end on a celebration instead of a, you know, we can do better. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people who care very deeply about patients and information for patients which is fantastic and they're certainly not going to give up now i know you and i are not going to give up we're going to keep banging that drum and doing whatever we can so yeah come on guys join us and let's let's do better and let's get some really great information out there for patients have a good rest of your day everybody and thank you magnolia bye-bye bye-bye so thank you for listening to trilla talk today if you enjoyed it please come back and listen to us again if you have feedback on this or any of our sessions, we would love to hear it. In addition, if you have ideas for future topics that you'd like us to cover, particularly something you think the community should be talking about, let us know. We would like this to be an ongoing conversation with medical writers at large, and you can send us comments on our Twitter feed or on our LinkedIn page. Just a reminder, you can find all our episodes of the Trilla Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and trilogywriting.com backslash Trillotalk. Have a good rest of your day.